A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast exists because of the fine folks at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member, get access to ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com for making this podcast possible. Listen. That wasn't tactical. I lost it. It's okay. It happens. You know, sometimes the rage builds up and you just gotta let it out. You remember that time? I was so angry with my father and my brother, I went down to Earth and I held the whole of New York City hostage with an alien army tried to use the Mind Stone on Tony Stark. It didn't work, so I threw him off the building. I mean, let me say something. It wasn't tactical. Yeah. I lost it. Sometimes our emotions get the better of us. You can say that again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen, and I'm broadcasting to you from a glass box that's getting smaller and smaller. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. And I'm wondering if I'm going to show runner to run my life. <laughs> On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Loki Season 2, Episode 2. We're going to be giving you our overall thoughts on the episode. We're going to be doing a detailed, spoiler-filled conversation about the episode. Should be a lot of fun. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us across all platforms, TikTok, Instagram, threads, at Decoding TV. Before we get to our conversation about Loki Season 2, Episode 2 today, Patrick Klepek, we got to talk about this report today that's in the Hollywood Reporter headline, Daredevil Hits Reset Button as Marvel Overhauls Its TV Business. This is a pretty stunning article from Boris Kitt who writes about the problems that are happening over at Marvel, particularly with the production of Daredevil Born Again. Now, if you don't recall, Daredevil Born Again is a new 18-episode series uh, that's supposed to feature the Matt Murdock from the Netflix series. It's like the first time that Marvel Studios has taken one of those old Netflix series, reimagining the role of same uh, same guy playing Matt Murdock and um, you know, continuing the story from that franchise. Uh, we learned that production had been paused when the writer strike began a few months ago. Uh, but we also learned in late September, Marvel quietly let go of head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman and also released the directors for the remainder of the season. So they shot about half the season and they released the writers and, and directors for the rest of the season. Uh, and... The reason they did that is because apparently they were making a show that the folks in charge at Marvel weren't fans of. Um, the, uh, the There's a detail here about how uh, uh, Corman and Ord crafted a legal procedural that did not resemble the Netflix version known for its action and violence. Uh, <laughs> Cox didn't even show up in costume until the fourth episode. Marvel, after greenlighting the concept, found itself needing to rethink the original intention of the show, end quote. Uh, so it, it feels like they greenlit the concept, sh shot a bunch of episodes, and then decided, actually, we don't want to make that show anymore. Now, 
I I have been doing this, you know, covering movies and TV for some amount of time. And I'll just say it's a little odd uh, when you've greenlit a show. Presumably you've, if not read the scripts, then at least you know the concept (laughs) behind the show, right? And it is odd to then take a look at the episodes and decide we don't want to do that anymore. I'll just read one more thing, Patrick Klepek, and then I want to hear your comment on this. Um, the article talks about how uh, the Marvel Studios has released more than 50 hours of TV and then describes the way in which it does so as follows. Through it all, the company eschewed the traditional TV-making model. It didn't commission pilots, but instead shot entire $150 million-plus seasons of TV on the fly. It didn't hire showrunners, but instead depended on film executives to run its series. And as Marvel does for its movies, it relied on post-production and reshoots to fix what wasn't working, end quote. To paraphrase George Costanza, when you put everything that Marvel has done uh, in one paragraph, it sounds... Really terrible, <laughs> like the way the way in which it's chosen to do it, right? Like it's like, oh wow, no wonder why there's been problems. And in my opinion, um, there have been less or or fewer successful Marvel series than there have been successful Marvel series. Patrick Klepek, what was your reaction to reading this report? Yeah, uh, troubling, but also if you're like me and like rooting for the MCU to find its footing again on all fronts, and thought that TV could be an interesting avenue to tell stories that didn't fit the bigger picture format or needed more of that character work, needed more of that time, needed more of that breathing room. Like, you know, sure. Uh, three years later, stumbling into the way that TV has been done successfully for decades seems sort of goofy, but <laughs> if I want these shows to work, if I want these stories to work, I'd rather that happen well, not sooner rather than later, because the, the, it's definitely the later part. We're definitely in the later part, especially for an interconnected universe in which like pulling out individual pieces has a lots of consequences as a result. And you know, something that's not really gotten into here, I think it's referenced in a quote towards the end, is like, hey, look at Loki, right? Like one of the, you know, one of the few Marvel shows to get a second season, one of the few Marvel shows to introduce a side character that I think is uh, maybe beloved is too much, but like Sylvie is like well liked. Like if Sylvie showed up in a Marvel film, people would be excited about, it. and there'd be a translation from television to film uh, in a way that I, I imagine Marvel thought of the pipeline early on. It's like ah, we introduce these lower stakes characters here, and then people are excited when they jump to the movie. And we just haven't seen that. We're going to see it happen with this Marvel, right? In, in the Marvels, but with that right. pipeline, that creative pipeline of lower stakes in the TV shows so they can appear in these big budget productions. Like between COVID and Chadwick Boat, I mean, like so many things have happened to, I think, make this problem an already difficult problem, then made even more difficult by really shoddy mismanagement and creative processes by Marvel's television division or chief creatives. Like it just seems like they made something that, man, that's going to be tough to do. What if we made it even harder? Uh, (laughs) And that was the choice uh, that they made. I do pause a little bit on the notion. Like, look, I, I think She-Hulk like was like broadly a success, and like I don't think it's. I'm glad that Marvel looks at that as a show that had a creative force from start to finish. I think that is also true of WandaVision and 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 Loki. Like those had the closest things those shows had to showrunners. But I don't think you can necessarily go Marvel. Are you treating whole shows uh, as one continuous item as opposed to shooting a pilot? 
I mean, that's what streaming broadly does. Like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression of like most streaming shows that aren't like HBO that seems to still kind of stick by a shoot a pilot, see if that works, like greenlight a series. More often than not, like Netflix and their ilk are just greenlighting a series and putting it into production. And a huge part of the, oh man, why do many shows, so many shows keep getting canceled, especially on Netflix, is because they treat a season as a pilot. And if that pilot doesn't take off, then you don't get another season. And so I think that is Marvel following in those footsteps is not necessarily a Marvel issue as much as it's a streaming like production culture issue. But you add that up with the like six, seven, eight other issues that Marvel created for itself in running a television unit. And I think you end up in the place where we're at here where they are essentially creatively rebooting a show that is halfway through production. And that's those aren't the stories you want to hear if you're excited for daredevil to, you know, reappear on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so much to respond to there, Patrick Lepic. First of all, uh, what you're alluding to about them showing up late to the party is the fact that they now in the future plan to have showrunners and a show Bible and things that you would typically have on, on series like the ones that they're making. Uh, there was a quote that said, uh, TV is a writer-driven medium. Marvel is a Marvel-driven medium, end quote. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a cause of a lot of problems. Uh, but so hopefully they do have showrunners and uh, that will make these shows feel more cohesive. Second thing is uh, the idea that She-Hulk was successful uh, or that it had the same creative voice beginning to end. Uh, I would say there are some, as with pretty much all Marvel shows, there are some good episodes in She-Hulk. There are some good moments. Uh, but even this article identifies the fact that the uh, the person who kind of pitched the idea, Jessica Gao, who developed and wrote She-Hulk, was sidelined once director Kat Coiro came on board. Uh, then ba- Gao was brought back to oversee post-production, but that was like relatively rare. But like, uh, what does sidelined mean? It's unclear, but yeah. uh, it wouldn't, Having seen the results of She-Hulk, it doesn't surprise me that like there are multiple creative competing voices in that show. Uh, and as for greenlighting a whole series at once, I think that's fairly accurate. Uh, the difference I would say with Marvel shows is like the stakes are really high. They're spending over $100 million per show, uh, and they're not making that many episodes. I think uh, Loki Season 2 cost over $100 million. There's only six episodes, right? And so... Uh, I think they're spending more per episode. They're obviously tying in with these huge, hopefully billion-dollar grossing movies. Uh, and so, you know, playing fast and loose with, like, a quick series with, like, Paul where Paul Rudd plays two people. Like, that's, you know, that feels, like, more okay than we're spending yeah. $100-plus million dollars on, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, a big tie into this, this tentpole film from this fall. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've just realized Paul Rudd's also in Ant-Man. So like, that might be confusing what I just said, but he was, he was <laughs> I, also I was, in that show. <laughs> I eventually put it together. I was like, right. Yeah. He was in that show that I meant to watch where he played multiple versions of himself and never got around to like many things on Netflix. Yeah. But yes, he just, living he with yourself, played... he, living with yourself is the name of the show he was in. But anyway, it's, it, that was a very like small, like mm-hmm. intimate movie where, you know, it's mostly shot in a few locations and it's like, okay, like if you want to fly by the seat of your pants for that, like that's fine, you know, but sure. if you're spending one, 140 million or in the case of secret invasion, $220 million. Oh, uh, there's some fun does... details in that show about in that article about that show. Yeah, Secret Invasion. Really... How that? Yeah, that was you know the the original creator was um, or actually no no the the thing with that show Kyle Bradstreet uh, was working on scripts for Secret Invasion for a year when he was fired after Marvel decided on a different direction. Kyle Bradstreet was the um, uh, writer and executive producer on Mr. Robot, uh, 
Uh, and again, a, a show, Secret Invasion, that shows a lot of evidence of, of tampering. And as we will discuss today, I would argue Loki season two also does. You know, like, uh, mm. I think that there is there is not evidence of a clear vision and story in in most Marvel TV shows. And I, I would I would lump Loki season two in with that as well uh, so far. But anyway, uh, it, it's a fairly damning article. But as you said, Patrick Lepic, there is a glimmer of hope at the end of this, which is like, hey, maybe they've learned from the fact that they've wasted what appears to be at least half a billion dollars on shows that aren't very good. And uh, I would love to live a life in which I can have a half a billion dollar oopsie and be like, well, we've learned some lessons and, and here's what we're doing going forward. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, anyway, that article is at the Hollywood reporter by Boris Kitt. It's entitled daredevil hits reset button as Marvel overhauls its TV business. Check it out. All right, Patrick Klepek, let's get into uh, our conversation about Loki season two, episode two today. I want to read an email from Harsha, who writes from Washington, D.C., uh, to DecodingTV at gmail.com. Harsha writes in, quote, really enjoyed the Loki recap episode. I've been really anticipating the show, and after the travesty that was Secret Invasion, I'm happy the premiere was so strong. Based on the marketing for this season, it seems the show is leaning more into the Doctor Who-type sci-fi adventures, which is what I initially thought season one was going to be like. What do you think of this potential avenue, end quote? Patrick Klepek, I would love if uh, Loki season one or two was like, hey, we're going on a time adventure of the week. Uh, And it kind of has that structure a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think this show is and always has been heavily serialized. Like every episode kind of depends on the events of the previous episode. And there is like one, for, for, for good or ill, one continuous story that they're trying to tell. Uh, but yeah, curious what your expectations were in terms of the Doctor Who-like adventure of the week and whether you feel season two is living up to that, Patrick Lepper. Yeah, I mean, I, the certainly the marketing suggested and just the trajectory of the end of the first season is like, oh, like Loki is probably going to be this television series where they're encountering a bunch of different iterations of Kang. And like, oh, okay, I could see how you get an episode of the week format out of that. Like this week, we're going to blank. And like, we're going to encounter this version of Kang. And like, we sort of foil that towards some broader, you know, uh, meta storyline that, that then ties into the, the broader M, uh, MCU, uh, storytelling apparatus. And remember, uh, sliders, you ever watch that show sliders? You know, yes, like, I do. I do remember the, I remember the graphic, like the CG of the, yeah, the sliding yeah. thing more than so, anything else. Sliders is a Fox television series where every week they would slide into a different dimension and it would be like, here is a dimension where it's a matriarchal society instead of a patriarchal one. Or here is a society where, you know, JFK never existed or, you know, whatever it is. Like every week it would be like a whole different adventure. Um, and there was a potential for Loki to be something like that, right? So, Yeah, and I think that's probably something we'll get into when we started packing episode two, which uh you know uh, starts to introduce some potentially wobbly elements to where like the broader story of this season is going because i think it's going to be less of that fanciful like like let's take these charming characters who bounce off one another and send them to interesting locations and just see what sort of hijinks they get up to um and uh it's gonna be less of that i don't think we're necessarily getting the show that the person writing in was kind of hoping for. Right. Certainly exactly. I think we're going to get elements of that because, you know, much of the trailers like is stuff we have not seen 
in the show yet. Like, you know, the Jonathan Majors of it all, like it has yet to sort of like rear its head in, into the show that we're watching. And so uh, I, I don't know if I, I necessarily color that as a disappointment yet, because I want to give the show more of a chance to breathe. But I, I share the concerns that the show is not necessarily what it was pitched as or, or, or seemed to be pitched as and, mm-hmm. is, and is currently coming across as, as something else. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the email from Harsha. You can always write into us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Patrick Klepek, what did you think of Season 2, Episode 2 of Loki overall? Pretty mixed. Um, I think this is a show that um, week to week there is a, like enough character work between all of these really talented actors that there are always going to be moments that just by having people in a room, these people in a room with their shared history, how these characters are drawn and then realized on the screen, there's going to be fun to be had. Um, you know, I do the write-ups for like our, our summaries on, on this show a lot and have been doing them for Loki. And one of the things that I've noticed in doing the write-ups uh, for both episodes is what I, my process is usually I just watch the episode, take it in. And then I watch the episode a second time and sort of scrub through it as I'm figuring out the plot points and, and character beats that I need to, to outline. And in both episodes, there are moments where I'm just hitting forward, 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 like nothing's happening here. And I mean, by nothing, I mean, characters are are talking. Like there isn't anything for me to outline here. It's like, they're in a room. They're torturing guy. Like, okay. Like I've noted that in the summary, we can talk about it. And <laughs> I think in the best of circumstances, that's like a really encouraging thing is like, Hey, like it's not actually like character does X character does Y because when you get caught up so much in the plotting of it all, that can hide the fact that not much like things are happening, but is anything happening? And so in many ways I was encouraged at like discovering this was part of, like my process like, Oh, like this means there are 10, 12 minutes, like moments where it's just people bouncing off each other in a room. And this episode does have a lot of that. It has a lot of people bouncing off on one another in a room, but it feels strained in getting to the stuff that I want to get to. Like I want more Loki, like Loki and Sylvie were the heart of the first season um, ended up being where the show was at its strongest. And it seems like the show is really straining to set up that conflict and tension between these two characters, the thing that I want to see explored this season. And I'm just less interested in what the show seems a little more interested in, which is 
Yeah, what's happening with those branches? What's I, going I, on with the temporal loom, guys? You yeah, know, like, what's what's yeah. going on there? Yeah, I and and I don't think it. They don't. I don't think they made that part. There was a lot of fun had with those bits in the first episode that you and I obviously were big fans of. I don't think that stuff works nearly as strongly here, where it starts to feel a little more weighing down on on what the show could be accomplishing if if spending that time elsewhere. Beautifully said, as usual, Patrick. Uh, I think I agree with most of, of what you've said. And I think that uh, the stuff where it's just Mobius and Loki hang out, hanging out, that's the strongest stuff of the show, in my opinion. Like, you're watching two really talented actors bounce off each other, develop their characters. Um, I love that stuff. And I wish the show would focus on that and have less stuff going on. Like, I think it would be a stronger show. Don't You don't need to have, like, 15 different plot developments every episode just have it's just about people you have a simple goal that they're trying to get to at the end of the season have people hanging out have it be character driven um this episode was a mess uh i think uh the uh, so a little behind the scenes here uh i was sent the first four episodes in advance patrick was not uh and when i started watching the second episode i literally didn't know if i had gotten the episodes mixed up like i, I didn't know if i clicked <laughs> on the wrong episode i was like did we did i skip an episode like was there a whole bunch of like developments that happened you know before this episode that i didn't see uh because it feels like we're in a completely different adventure in this episode uh and the sort of culminating event of the episode is in my opinion extremely poorly built up you know like as to like what what the climax of the episode is going to be uh and i'm very concerned about the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm like, uh, the first episode was so strong. And then after the second episode, I'm like, Oh, like all those problems that we were hoping it wouldn't encounter, uh, this season, you know, like they're rearing their ugly head, which is to say, you know, twist after twist, which is to say, we need to have some big moment at the end of the episode. It doesn't matter if it's like character driven or not. Like we, it, there's just gotta be a big fight, you know? Uh, and it feels like sometimes those are the things that are driving the show, which is, what a film executive would say, right? Like that's what a film executive would look at the second episode and be like, not enough action. Got to have a big kind of confrontation or explosion at the you end of it. You want to spend 20 minutes in McDonald's? Like, yeah, exactly. no. And it's like, yes, yeah. I, yes I do actually. Exactly. You know you know what I'm saying? Like, it just feels like there's all these competing things trying to, trying to get into the sh- competing creative voices, trying to get into the show. And it's like, on the one hand, you have this like really idiosyncratic, character-driven time travel drama that takes place in this striking, visually striking place called the TVA. And on the other hand, you have all this like time travel BS that's like, uh, in my opinion, way too much of it, way too poorly communicated. Um, the stakes are unclear to the audience uh, in, in such a way that we don't even know like why people are taking the actions they're taking or what is at stake. Uh, and I think that's a real problem. So, like, I'm not ready to, like, declare the show a failure at all. Obviously, we're only one third of the way in. But this is a very concerning episode that makes me feel like, um, if anything, possibly the problems with the first season might even be worse in the second season. So, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm with you. It's it's and I think especially where. I mean, this is obviously, a, you know, an MCU thing more generally, but uh, you must get to this point. And if that's what the, like the movies need to accomplish, I think that becomes even 
more problematic on an episode by episode basis. Like it's one thing if you're right. getting an hour and 45 minutes yeah. and they, Hey, you got to wind up here. Well, you can do a lot in an hour and 45 right. minutes right. with like, you know, a $300 million budget, but at the scale these shows are working at, like you got to get here and then you got it here and got it here. It's like, well, if they could just, just let the characters breathe, like we don't, Nothing has to be accomplished this episode. The accomplishment can be like Loki and Sylvie, like having a long moment that will make whatever was they wanted to happen at the end of this episode. Let it happen in the next episode so that it can have some sort of emotional resonance when, yeah. you know, it's just, it, yeah. really, it, it, it does feel like that. You know, I remember when like, I think it was in Avengers age of Ultron. Uh, there was like a big conversation about how, how Josh Whedon was like, he wanted to have that Hawkeye and his family on the farm stuff. Yeah. And in order to do that, he had to do the Thor getting visions of Ragnarok stuff. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was the trade-off he had to, in order to get more character stuff, he had to give up, like we're referencing future movies. And like, it often feels like that's kind of the competition here. Now, all that said, still some great moments. Yeah. Um, still some amazing visuals. Like the, the show looks amazing. Like uh, great concepts. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to still keep the show watchable. Um, but and I'll, I'll watch Tom Hiddleston do any like absolutely, bait, like, absolutely. like he is just. I am constantly sort of shocked and pleasantly surprised at someone that still likes watching MCU stuff and like wishes it would just like be better. But like he's still here, and like any time yeah. the camera's on him he's just making whatever material is in front of like you you see a lot of the traditional sort of a stage actor like theater actor in him in this character in this show and it's the kind of thing where like even the show at its worst has him delivering it and like i'd i'd watch you know the you know the classic like i'd watch him read the phone book like i would like i feel like he would he would inject pathos into the film book on like letter g um and and and, uh that's what i feel like here but it's it's very reminiscent i don't think we're ever going to hit the lows secret invasion seems like it was a catastrophic bottom of the barrel Let's, sort of like creative commercial <laughs> failure for for marvel maybe not commercial but certainly creatively um but it has echoes of do you know what you have here like mm-hmm. yeah tom hiddleston an actor who like samuel jackson has decided this is fun i'm happy mm-hmm. to do this as long as you give me a role like yeah don't fuck it up like it's like you know you've got other actors like chris evans understandably being like I've done my time. Not like it's a jail cell, but like I did this, like I'm ready to do other things. These actors seem like they'll stick around as long as you give them material. At some point that's going to dry. Like some point that's not going to be the case. And, and as long as you're spending 100 million plus per, per season <laughs> yeah, of the sure show. That you know? helps. I'm sure. Uh, but they seem to yeah. actually care. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I know. Every I know time you read interviews yeah. with Hiddleston yeah. and Jackson, like they care about these characters and are also yeah. being paid handsomely. I'm sure that, helps but they do really seem to like love being in these worlds want to explore these characters to some sort of nuance in the realm of the blockbuster and i again i don't think loki season two i'd be shocked if it hit the lows that secret invasion but i'm worried that relative to my expectations i wasn't really disappointed by secret invasion i think it's possible for me to be disappointed right by loki right. season two and that's going to be a bummer if that's where we where we end up absolutely absolutely all right, let's get into a recap of the episodes. We're going to spoil uh, episode two of Loki season two. Let's let's get into it. So Mobius and Loki head to 1977, uh, London, 
in the sacred timeline. And by the way, that's very useful that they put that now, right? Like, so mm-hmm. we know where we are. Uh, they're searching for Sylvie, but while there are no signs of Sylvie, they stumble into a movie premiere while chasing a ping from the tempad of X5, who is the actor, uh, the character played by actor Raphael Casal from last episode. Basically kind of like a guard. Um, and we last saw him scheming with General Dox, played by Kate Dickey, a member of the TVA's Judges Council. In London, the two discover X5 is living the life of a charismatic movie star, but when confronted by Loki and Mobius about Sylvie's whereabouts, a chase ensues between Mobius, B-15, Loki, and X5, with X5 arguing that taking him away will ruin his life here. Loki leverages his trickster magic on several occasions to finally capture X5. A pretty cool sequence. I was a little bit uh, surprised by, like, why like why we're in this status quo. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when we last left, they were kind of presenting their findings to the council, and now they're, like, chasing X5, and X5 is living his whole life. You know, I understand intellectually why it's happened, where X5 is like, I want to live my life. I had, a, I had a good life going, and you ripped me out of it. And, you know, like, but, like, that was all off screen. That all happened off screen. So I was like, did we miss an episode? You know, I was, I was genuinely confused. That said, pretty cool sequence with Loki chasing him and using his magic. What did you think, Patrick? What was your reaction to this opening? Yeah, I mean, I think Loki's magic is something that's been sort of, they haven't really played with it too much in like the Marvel films and television properties in general, just because I think Hiddleston is such an arresting actor that like they don't need to rely on him Mm -hmm. twiddling his thumbs to do something. But it is fun then to see him do some like low stakes magic, right? Like just like playing with shadows or, uh, you know, creating a gang for uh, X5 to run into. Like those are like, especially on the like the scope and scale of a television show where it's like, what can we pull off that feels credible, but is also in the fantastic. And it's like, that, those are, those are clever ideas. Those are good. Like, that's what I want to see from shows like this when they're operating at, at kind of like this ground level in a television show. Um, that said, I'm, I'm with you in sort of the confusion on like, where did we leave off? Why are we here? And I think this is going to, I have worries over where the show is going because it's clearly interested in exploring what does it mean for your life to have been a complete lie and then wanting to revisit or not revisit as the case may be like with Mobius, as we'll explore later. Um, what does it mean to be where you are, where you've been and where you don't know you've been? And that's like a really strong emotional thread for a television show to pull on because in theory you should have the space to explore that in a way that is just, you know, like I, you know, the, the you know, in the, the closest we have in, in the, the, the Marvel films is the blip, right. Which is, like in theory, this like really rich, like potential emotional traps, like ignoring all the logicals associated with like how society would function after it. Like, wow, like people disappeared for five years. And like broadly, the movies have just been like, eh, like, whoosh, like, let's just like move on. And here, like what they've got with Mobius, when everyone discovering at the TVA, our lives, our lives have been a lie. We have, we have families. Like we were in love in places like, that's like, that's a whole show in and of itself. Like, and then the moment you start taking that and then putting on the weight of everything else, I think that's where it starts to start collapsing on itself a little bit because every time they revisit that, I'm like, oh yeah, like pull on that thread. Like that is a really, I can absolutely see how you could get several seasons of a show exploring like these characters and like you have a template in front of you is like, let's go see what I was doing. And then right, the consequence. Right. And so um, that, I, I'm with that you should be, that should be the show, 
right? Yeah. Like that that should be the show is exploring that idea, but instead there's all this other bullshit. There's all this yeah. other like uh got to find Sylvie. For what reason? Um so she can help us stop uh, you know, all the multiverse stuff that's going on, you know, like who cares? You like it's comics. Like you right. can make up whatever fantastic reason for the event to occur later. Like there's no reason for right. exactly like, the stakes of like the universe imploding to feel this high, this fast. Because 100%, 100%. It's yeah. like, you can just, I don't know. Obi came up with a fancy piece of tech that, yeah, put a, exactly. He I, puts I, the I, tube back in the toothpaste for four episodes. Yeah, and then, like, oh no, <laughs> the tube exploded. You know what I mean? Like that <laughs> should be the joy of this is that the audience understands you can do what this is a world of magic and dreams. And, and, so use that to your advantage, and I just don't think they, they're doing that enough here. Agreed. Back at the TVA, Obi is anxious over the new branches and doesn't have time to examine X-Files Tempad, which they're hoping to use to find Sylvie Renslayer and the now-rogue AI, Miss Minutes. Mobius, B-15, and Loki try a variety of tactics to extract information from X-5, including a combination of good cop and bad cop. Nothing works, and in the process, Mobius strikes X-5 after a comment about their collective unknown past gets under his skin. So they go to the automat, which made me think to myself, Patrick, why did we stop serving pies in vending machines? You know, we've got to bring that back. <laughs> While eating uh, a slice of surprisingly good key lime pie, Loki asks Mobius why he's not interested in knowing more about his past. And Mobius reveals it's easier to be ignorant because if he discovers he used to have a happy life, his present self will never be able to move forward. You know, this is the stuff we talk about that's like the best stuff of the show. It's two characters doing character work, talking about interesting concepts like... Would, you, you ask yourself as a viewer, would I want to know what my other life was? You know, I'm really happy as an analyst of the TVA. Like, would I want to know that I was a movie star? Would I want to know that I was something else that I would want less? You know, like, um, cleaning up shit in the shit-torium, you know? Like, if that's kind of what I was, <laughs> if that's what my job was, like. Oh, no. uh, How did I end up in the shit-torium? Yeah, like, exactly. What, what it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you like that. I thought that was a really like strong sequence, which and it also is one of those moments where I think it can be sort of enjoyed on its own as a piece of character work. And also it's the MCU operating as a reward. This is where your investment over the long term pays off and can like be leveraged by the show to give like the beat where he's talking about like the battle of New York and talking about a moment from all that, like it's great. It can kind of just wash over you. Like it, it's not critical to the exchange, but if like, like me, you remember like being in the theater, like witnessing that sequence, like watching that film, like to have that reference in this sort of like offhanded nonchalant way is a fun way to reward. I think it's the best way to reward the long-term investment in this as a franchise, as opposed to, you know, constantly the problem with, with the with the Marvel stuff these days of feeling like these like pieces in a puzzle that have to be understood to understand the tapestry. This is just it's referential. It's you are rewarded for being able to understand the humor of what Loki is saying and referencing these events from the Battle of New York. And then you have this other character bouncing off them. And it's just it's great. Like that, you know, I don't know that that scene was long. Again, I think the show like is it is straining within itself where it seems to recognize like I don't think Secret Invasion ever understood what, what was made working it work, about it right, right? Yeah, like yeah. it was more that you and I would identify well in a different show that looked at itself and understood what was good about it it could have done X Y or Z here it really feels like the show 
does understand what its strengths are and is constantly like taking a fly swatter, like whack, like mm-hmm. whack, like like get away, like let these people sit in the key lime pie room. That, right. Um, right. Uh, even that sequence where, you know, like uh, in, uh, uh, Mobius uh claims to have been like following loki and it's like no like you were ahead of me like it's a funny it's a it's a good hilarious it's hilarious. a really yeah, funny true. moment and it's it's one uh, where it's like just sit with it like do this why have we not done this with like b15 at all like suddenly b15 has been relegated to the sidelines like at one moment in a chase sequence and like clearly she's also really stressed over this right. like um, the emotional stakes of what it means to have all this change the TVA and like, well, but there's no time for that. Like we can do it for Mobius and Loki. We can give them a moment and X 15 gets a little bit of time here, but it's just, you know, it's not some characters then suddenly just get to show up to whack somebody in the face. And, and that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, B 15 played by Wunmi Masaku, by the way, very talented actor. Yeah. Uh, great. But yeah, I kind of agree with you, Patrick. And if there's one takeaway from this, it's, Hey, Disney hire us. We obviously know what works. We, we know what works about your shows, and we can tell you. We hold the key to unlocking what works about your team. I'm willing so. to spend $500 million to find the answers, David. I just mm-hmm. think, you know, like, mm-hmm. if they can do it, why not us? You know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And the other thing I would mention about this is I, uh, I, I always thought that uh, Loki season one fast forwarded past like Loki's evil side to him becoming good way too quickly and didn't really question that at all. And I like that season two is acknowledging that he did have a dark side. He did kill what appeared to be hundreds of people <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, was a bad person and that that's still a part of him. And I'm not, I don't know that the shows, I don't trust that the show is going to really do anything interesting with that. But uh, I do think that that's cool that it acknowledges that. And, well, they kind of step up to the like. There's a there's a world where a show that had more time to sit with these wrinkles that you're talking about, um, and in the sequence where they're torturing, like actually Loki does go too far, right? Like slips like mm-hmm. back into like this person that they were that they kind of fast forwarded to a I don't know to the MCU status quo, the Loki that we fell in love with over the course of a bunch of movies. Because that's what the show kind of wanted to fast forward to is just, yeah, I know he's dead, but like, here's another one and we'll just continue where we left off. If they could have explored like, hey, actually, this person has a darkness to them and that's not completely squashed. Like, uh, there, I think there's a world where the show could have sat with with that part of their personality um, instead of immediately essentially just leveraging it for a bit. Um, uh, and then just... I, I think that that should, in my opinion, that should have been the arc of the first season. Is it should have yeah. been like exploring how Loki, but instead he kind of is he's there by like episode two, basically, you know, uh, and he's like a completely different person. But it's not the first time that Marvel has completely like retconned a person's character. Mm-hmm. I remember when like Thor uh, shows up with a, a personality transplant and Thor Ragnarok, basically, you know, and that's you know it's it's done that before. But I like that it acknowledges that there is a different side to him. Anyway. Moving on in the episode, Loki and Mobius suspect that X5 does in fact know where Sylvie is and they try a new car- tactic, scaring the shit out of him with a torture device. Uh, by the way, I really like the, the idea behind the torture device and how it leverages the visual language of the show. And uh, it's, uh, I don't like seeing people get tortured. I don't think torture works in real life and I don't like seeing effective depictions of it. But uh, it looked cool. So that makes it okay. <laughs> uh, we're going to do it. You know, less Jack Bauer, might as well do it with style. Box. Might as well do it with style. 
<laughs> Ultimately, X5 relents and promises to take them to where Sylvia is hiding on a branch timeline, but the good news doesn't last for long as Obi discovers the now shut blast doors cannot be opened without the help of Miss Minutes, who is no longer working for the TVA or He Who Remains because Sylvie killed him at the end of, of season one. I just want to pause for a moment and just say, this is what I'm talking that, that last point is like what I'm talking, what we're talking about, like that's one crisis. And then by the way, there's a whole separate crisis that unfolds on top of that one uh, at the end of the episode. That's like kind of pulling our attention away from a lot of the character work that's going on here. You know, yeah, like why, like why can't just, but <laughs> you, you, you only need the- one crisis at a time. Like that's, you don't need more than one crisis. When it's like episode, episode you know? one stumbles into this incredible dynamic. Like yeah. we got a problem. Let's yeah. go visit Obi and like put those three people in a room. Magic is going to happen. Like, Absolutely. It's just, and you're just, it's just people sitting across from one another bantering. And yeah. episode two has a moment similar, right? They go there with the tempad yeah. and it's shorter, but like, it's still like really funny and effective. And it's like, you have, ah, you have found a reoccurring bit that I, every time you come back to this, I'm excited to see what happens. Right. And instead it's shortened to like just a brief exchange in the second episode and off to like give these, these side characters who are all strong on their own yeah. exposition and like story blocks whole, whole, to there's do. There's a whole other, co- well, yeah. well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, but we'll get to it. So anyway, um, back in Oklahoma, Loki, Mobius, and X5 discover Sylvie with a new life working at McDonald's. She's not happy to see Loki and seems content with having started this new, much quieter life of anonymity. Quizzed by Loki on why he saw her in a future version of the TVA, Sylvie rejects the notion that her future is already written and shows no interest in helping Loki or the TVA. Uh, and, and, you know, Loki explains the stakes to her by saying, hey, if you don't help us, the multiverse war is going to start and everything's going to be destroyed, including this McDonald's. Right. That's kind of that's the stakes is like the destruction of everything and everyone, you know, um, h- how and why unclear, you know, like the, the mechanisms and specific path by which that will happen. It's not an effective pitch, and of course, Sylvie rejects it. Um, I do want to say this is one of the deepest product placement tie-ins I have ever seen in a TV show, Patrick Lepic. I don't know. Uh, a few months ago, I, I started getting these McDonald's bags from McDonald's mm-hmm. uh, because a uh, big fan of McDonald's. They're actually a former sponsor of Decoding TV. And they started handing me their orders in a bag that had written on it the following. The McDonald's bag, as featured in. And then they listed a bunch of movies and TV shows. Did you see this bag? I did not. I do remember, um, you know, my kids get, you know, Happy Meals, I don't know, like once or twice a month when we're traveling somewhere. And at one point, we did get Loki toys. And I was like, this show is not out. Like, why do we have... (laughs) Loki, I think she. I think I want to say my kid got like a Sylvie toy, and I was like, "What? Mm. My kid is not watching." Maybe, Loki. Uh, maybe it was because of the the you know the show was delayed. I believe so. Maybe well, it was yeah. Originally so supposed they to also did Miss Marvel or the Marvels a long time ago. Is like I'm, I think the production timeline for McDonald's to set those things up like is like, hey, the like I'm sorry, like we we've, we've slotted this for that. And it's like I got like a Miss Marvel uh, or, or the Marvels thing, and my. My kid's like, who is this character? I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. You just give it to So it, it was a really strong tie-in. Uh, it was like a cool, it was a cool McDonald's bag. I was like, I, I kind of want to keep this bag. It's kind of cool because it lists like a bunch of, for lack of a better word, random movies and TV shows from like all mm-hmm. across the artistic spectrum. So uh, Space Jam, the Wong Kar Wai film Fallen Angels, 
the You Be Illin music video by Run DMC, uh, the U.S. sitcom The Office, Coming to America, the episode of Seinfeld entitled The Boyfriend, and so on. Like, just a bunch of, like, wow, mm-hmm. like, the McDonald's bag has been a lot of things. And then at the end, uh, the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, and then Loki Season 2. So it was like, oh, wow, it's been featured in a lot of things. Now, when a company like McDonald's does a corporate tie-in like this, there is no guarantee that McDonald's will actually show up in the show. Like, sometimes what a company like Disney will do to McDonald's is they'll say, hey, guess what? You can use our characters in your promotion. Just run it by us, and everyone wins. McDonald's gets to feel like they're cool with, like, Loki stuff, and Loki gets promotion. What I was unprepared for was how much McDonald's would be in the show. <laughs> it, they are, the logo is in the show for many, many minutes. The decor of the show, di- specific <laughs> dishes are mentioned. Uh, it is a really, really deep integration that it, it, at times is actually distracting. What did you think? Am I overreacting, Patrick? Um, I, it didn't bo- I guess it didn't bother me. Like, it just uh-huh. sort of... Uh, that versus just generic fast food restaurant. I don't like, I guess <laughs> it could have been a like, diner, Patrick. I mean, it's not like they're so calm. <laughs> I guess I'm just so like immune to it these days. Like sure, I just sure. like so many, you know, there's a lot of shows I love on like to Apple TV plus, And it's like, I cannot watch those shows without boy. You got to show me. I message. You know what I mean? Like I'm just <laughs> at this point, corporate integration is used yeah. to subsidize the expensive costs of like so many television right, shows right. that, like, hey, this is in like rural nineteen was it seventies or eighties, like early eighties, right? Is where the 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 branch timeline that we're in here with with Sylvie is like, sure, yeah, there there'd be a McDonald's. I guess it just didn't rise to the level. It's of- just, it, it, it's just odd. It's just odd in a show that like generally doesn't have any recognizable brands at all. Like, no, that's, I mean, that's you're... one of the f- features of the show is like, it, it's this weird place that's beyond earth and beyond time. And where the I, infinity stones are useless. I'd rather see what's useless. the fast food restaurant inside the TVA. I'd rather see their interpretation right, of the fast, right. fast food it's restaurant a, than... It's, weird. Than, it's <laughs> a little weird, but whatever. It's not like it ruined the episode for me or anything. It's just No, like, but it is... It is it's, it's, like, it's just this weird. It's really and, prominent in two episodes. I mean, one in a like post-credits, but then... Like a significant one third chunk of the second episode is like I think where I lost it was the final scene when Sylvie is like uh lying down on the car trunk mm-hmm. or uh uh like on the hood of a car and then like you clearly see like McDonald's and big glowing letters behind <laughs> her. I was just like, What okay, I guess it, you know, they they must have um uh, uh Thirty million of the one hundred forty million dollar budget for Loki season two was provided by McDonald's. Like, I would love know? to know because you know it's written <laughs> down somewhere, right? Yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely. Like lawyers had to hash out what does it mean for, like how long, which shot, like that's the kind of stuff that yeah. you could be in a room for anything. I would just want to sit in the meetings that are negotiating how McDonald's is depicted for how long and and, right. and stuff like that were. Again, it's it's small stakes. The show has bigger issues that I think are going to be completely separate from like what we're talking about now. But again, it's just like another thing that the show has to take into consideration in a show that has a hundred things it has to take into consideration. I don't think if it was generic fast food restaurant, the show still has a billion things going on. But I think it just goes to show, like you were underscoring earlier, the stakes at which these shows operate in terms of expense importance to like the broader narrative that do does this show have to have 
McDonald's because the show doesn't work like budgetarily unless it's present. And the moment right. that's true, what are we doing? <laughs> like, like why? <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, why not just make a lower stakes show that didn't require that? <laughs> right. And right. then you could not have to make that a consideration. I, right. you know, I'm, I'm sure it's more yeah, complicated yeah. than that, but I think it is a part of these questions that we're asking. Any thoughts on the Sylvie and Loki reunion? I mean, again, I think these two actors have great chemistry with each other, uh, but I, I think most of their meeting is just speeding through exposition. Here's a, I actually wrote it down. Loki says, I've been pulled through time between the past and the present. I was in the future and I saw you. The TVA is in danger and you were there. I need to know why. Uh, that's what Loki says. And so they're just spouting off exposition that's like, in my opinion, barely comprehensible. And she's saying, I wasn't there. I don't give a shit about what you're doing. You know, like they have good chemistry, but most of their interaction is just exposition to try to explain why they're doing what they're doing in the show. Yeah. Um, and the, the, like the most important shot probably in this episode in a show, like an episode that we structure a little bit differently is like the long shot holding on their faces when they walk yeah. into that was nice. McDonald's in which, you have these two great actors that can communicate so much through just like not saying anything and just looking sad uh, and longing. And there's so much communicated there. And it's a moment where it's like to contrast what exactly you're talking about in which so much more is said with these two actors on a long zoom in shot, like looking at one another as beautiful synthesizers play in the background that I delight in every time. And then immediately it's like, right. But they need to like start oh. zipping and zapping at one yeah, another we gotta, about we gotta like, get them off to the next thing before and we. It's just like yeah. uh, like I'm Sylvie, <laughs> like we're Sylvie, like who fucking cares, man? Like much like like I was saying, like the future is not written. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with this gobbledygook. You can just you can just do whatever. And instead, the show's like, but we got to have this like yeah. You know, a moment that could have been an episode in it of itself, but it's got to be 10 minutes at the end of this one. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and I have to say, it's a little bit confusing, too, in my opinion, because she, he's basically saying uh, I, I, I wrote down some quotes from because I have to, like, take notes to try to figure out what is actually going on in the show, which is not a good sign, in my opinion. But, you know, hey, uh, the show, this podcast spawned from Decoding Westworld, and that was the whole premise. But <laughs> if what uh, He Who Remains is true, then the TVA is the only defense. That's something that Loki says. Like, if what He Who Remains is true, the TVA is the only defense between, like, uh, you know, from all the multiverses getting destroyed. That's what he says, right? So we're So then we need to try to prevent the multiverses from getting destroyed and encourage what the TVA is doing, potentially. Can we just call, Doc, call, call Doctor Strange in a different movie? Seems like he understands what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, Indeed. Well, Indeed. I feel like we got other guys with powers that can handle some of this. Inside the McDonald's, Mobius can't shake the feeling that X5 is hiding something more, and Sylvia is able to reveal the truth. The rogue TVA judge, General Docs, raided the armory in the previous episode not to track down Sylvie, but to use bombs to destroy all the branches outside of the sacred timeline. The trio tracks down where the bombs are being placed and set off and eventually put an end to it, but not before billions of people are killed and countless branches, uh, branch timelines are snuffed out. The episode concludes with Sylvie returning to the TVA to condemn this, them as useless before she retreats to her preferred branched timeline, which was saved at least for the moment. Now, again, in terms of the action sequence itself, pretty solid stuff. Uh, I believe 
this location is a very iconic location in the UK. It's called Number Three Covered Slip. Mm. I recognize it because it is one of the filming locations in the Alfonso Cuaron movie, Children of Men. Oh. Uh, and it's a very striking structure, mm-hmm. right? Where like that final fight takes place. But I think that this whole sequence reveals one of the big problems of the show, which is uh, if if this was going to be the culminating event of the episode, you need to set it up a little bit more. You need to be like, hey, this episode, we need to stop General Docs from doing blank. But instead, it's like they prefer not to do that. They prefer to be like, aha, like surprise, like look, look at this evil stuff that they're doing. And now you need to stop. And it's like, so we have like one, literally less than three minutes maybe to even grasp what is even happening. And then we're already at the action scene to stop it. And then it stopped within three minutes. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I don't even know why, what I was supposed to feel about that. You know, um, I certainly didn't feel like suspense. You know, I didn't feel like excited because it just doesn't do a good job. This episode didn't do a good job of setting up the stakes of what was happening. Now to its credit, there was a scene in last season where it's like, oh, all these branch timelines are happening and shit's going out of control. And I was like, hmm, I wonder why they never dealt with that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they did deal with that this episode. And so that is like, you know, um, I, I do want to say it didn't come completely out of nowhere, but certainly is not set up as like a major conflict in this episode. And, and it comes off as a plot twist which is kind of what this show is really into delivering plot twists. Uh, the timekeepers are not real. And, you know, and general docs is trying to kill everyone. You know, like that's kind of what the show traffics in. And I think it's not a very effective storytelling device. Patrick Klepek, what do you think about the final action sequence? Uh, I, you know, I'm with you. It's rush. It should have been an entire episode in and of itself. We yeah. have an episode that opens with Loki deploying like some really fun trickster magic that allows the show to, depict sort of like set pieces in a different way like yeah. conflict resolution in a different way and instead like here it's like i don't know he's shooting lasers Explo- green explosions hand. though right green right, explosions right. it's just like you don't under- like in the same episode you are like n- not understanding like the strengths of the character that are in front of you and what would be better for the format and for the audience and the other thing is they just the show wants you to feel so sad about all these billions of people dying and yet gives you no insight into their lives, what's being lost. It's just the show loves to refer back to that admittedly cool looking like graphic of like the branched timelines and like how it spouts off from the sacred timeline. You know, I think back to one of my all time favorites uh, moments in the MCU is when you know, I was there opening night, midnight with my wife to go see Endgame. And that movie opens with, uh, you know, Hawkeye and his family. And you're like, not sure the context of like what's happening. And I remember, you know, a couple moments into that, my wife gasped and she's like, oh fuck, like this is the head of the blip. Like we're going to watch him lose his family. And it's just like really powerful, like yeah. excellent moment. Like loved that opening to, to end game. And I, I outlined that moment to wonder in a different show. It's like, if you want me to care about these branch timelines, you need me to care about these branch timelines. It's easy to imagine this, like the second episode, giving more breathing room to Sylvie and these characters, like have some more banter in the, in the subsidized McDonald's. Um, And, (laughs) and then like, what if like, you know, the next episode is like set in some of these branches. Like, what are we losing? Like, who is here? Like what is being lost? Like give me emotional stakes so that when the entire TVA is sitting around, 
like moping over itself of how they just like fucked up and like lost all these countless lives. Like, but what do I care? Like, I don't know who these people are. Like, I have no, like, are they actually living lives? Like, what is the state of these different worlds? And I, I, I just really wish the show had spent any time giving gravity to what was lost as opposed to just through a combination of blank eyed stares, sad music and slow panning is supposed to demonstrate, well, you should feel sad. It's like, no, I'm just being manipulated. Like you're trying to evoke the feeling of sadness without giving me any material reason to feel sad. And I, it's like, I think a really, a big misstep on the show's part because it doesn't, it doesn't have time to give you that. Um, And I think it's at a real loss for a moment that like the show wants to feel weighty. And there's just, there's nothing for Neil to feel any of that weight. It just sort of, it becomes a plot point. As you said, it's just a twist and we move on from there. And it's like, whoop, I guess there's less branched timelines to deal with um, less places to go. And it's like, well, that's a bummer. I want to, I want to go to the places. We have slightly fewer ones. No, not <laughs> yeah. not clear how many fewer. Not no. fewer. Not clear what percentage of them was lost. It's just slightly fewer ones. One thousand percent agree with everything you just said, and and it really like it, it kind of shook my faith in the show that they're like, oh, you expect me to feel something here? You know, like I was like, oh, you've really done nothing to me, and my standards are way lower than even yours. I got I gotta say. Like, like I'm, I'm like, you don't even need to put in that work. Like just literally, I remember, um, you remember in, um, Star Wars, the force awakens, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they demonstrate star killer base. Yeah. Which is for those who don't know who, who haven't seen the force awakens, it's a massive, uh, it's like even more powerful than the death star. Cause they can kill like three planets at once or whatever the hell. Right. And so they're like, it's time to demonstrate the fully operational star killer base. So then they like launch a big flare star killer into the sky and it approaches like a planet. And then for like a good, like eight second shot, you see a bunch of people like on a restaurant balcony, whatever the heck running towards the balcony. They're like, Oh my gosh, a star killer thing is coming towards us. And then boom, they're dead. Everyone's with the whole planet wiped out. And that's all I'm asking for. Just give give, yes. like, give us like a five second shot of like three separate, timeline you know a father putting his child to sleep and then like oh like they're you know oh pruned like wiped out from you know like yeah something give give me something to work with please okay but like they they give you nothing they give you nothing to work with and it's shocking i have to say it's shocking they should have spent the money on that instead of big, <laughs> big fight at the end. You know, like but how many more McDonald's have we got to pay? Where did the McDonald's so can... money? Where did the McDonald's money go? Is my question. So, anyway, uh, so yeah, a, a disappointing second episode, um, and really does not give me faith that this show is going to know how to balance its disparate elements. No, but, hey, um, I've heard good things about the first four episodes as a whole, Patrick, which I still have not seen yet. Right. Uh, and so we will learn more next week about where where this is going. Um, well, and one other one other positive, I you know, that comes towards the end that they almost feel like isolated incidents as opposed to feeling cohesive across the the through line of the episode. But you know, like the sequence in the McDonald's with Mobius and X five, where like the, he's ta- he's asking him about his like acting and like what's it like there, and like in you know that scene is servicing trying to figure out why is he so anxious to get back. But I think like that moment worked really well for me where it's like this, the scene needs to accomplish something, which is like 
extracting this anxiousness from this character, like mm-hmm. something else is going on. But in doing so, like it's this really fun character work. Where, like Mobius is like, no, like tell me, like what do you do in the movie? Like I saw the poster <laughs> and like it's and he tries yeah. to explain. Like I thought it was like a like a two actors doing really great work, and it's still in service of a plot beat, but like one that has lower stakes. It's just like, why are you anxious? You know what I mean? Like I don't like. That yeah. stuff works so well for me. It's like, yeah. ah, like I just want the show. And to it's, it's literally interrupted by more of this ridiculous plot happening, right? Yeah. Where just like, like grab onto that. He, he comes out. He comes out. And he's like, "You're in the sequel." You know, the sequel's happening or whatever. And then it's like, "Oh, actually, there's a whole time travel thing we got to deal with." I right know. Now. Yeah. Um, I also really liked that Raphael Casal. They're like, "Hey, why don't you want to be around Sylvie?" And he's like, "Hey, I don't want to be around the basically serial killer who like murdered like." 500 of, or 50 of my co-workers you know she like, was like a jason uh, Voorhees to the tva right. for Ex- a long absolutely, time absolutely so i like you know again I, I like whenever the show like acknowledges stuff like that that's going on so anyway um well i think that's going to bring us into this week's episode of the podcast uh, let us know what you think are we being too unfair decoding tv at gmail.com is where you can let us know and find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com support this podcast by becoming a paid member at decodingtv.com uh, but next week we'll be back with uh, further conversation about Loki season two, episode three. We'll see what happens. Uh, but until then you can find Patrick Klepek's work over at uh, remap radio, wherever podcasts can be downloaded and crossplay.news is where his newsletter is. Be sure to check that out. Find me over at my newsletter, decoding everything.com. He is Patrick Klepek. I'm David Chen. See you next week right here on decoding TV. Goodbye. <laughs>